Good morning, Spring Meadows Presbyterian Church. This is Dave McGuire. Um, we're exploring new ways of, of getting you Sunday School content as we try to navigate uh, having two services and only being able to allow a set number of folks to, to come uh, to each of those services every week. So uh, this week I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pre-record some, uh, some Sunday School content for you. I want to get into uh, the next several weeks of uh, understanding apologetics. Uh, we're going to be talking about some uh, pretty interesting stuff, and I'm hoping that we can uh, find a format that will allow for feedback and questions. Um, if you have specific ideas, please uh, leave them in the Facebook comments or email me directly. You can always call me or text me as well. I'm really uh, excited for um, what we're able to do with the technology, and I'd like to um, take full advantage of that. One of the ideas that we had um, is to offer a Sunday school class on Sunday evenings so that it can be live and interactive. Um, and if that's uh, something that intrigues you or something that you're interested in, please please reach out. Uh, let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, we ask you to bless this time. I uh, ask you to bless the hearers and bless the speaker. Uh, you are the author of all things, and uh, you ordain whatever comes to pass. So you have ordained that uh, we should be in uh, this position at this time, and we uh, ask that you would help us to use it wisely um, and pick our words wisely as well, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do we know anything? Uh, when we wake up, how do we know the sky will still be blue, buildings will still exist, our loved ones will remember our names? Uh, the Christian worldview has comprehensive, specific answers to the questions of life, the universe, and everything. And when confronted with why we see the world as we do, and how those who do not share our worldview instead just steal from it, how confident are we that we can provide a clear and concise de defense of our faith? We, as ordinary Christians, need to be ready if called upon to have an answer for those who question us and to also then proclaim the mystery of Christ. Uh, there is uh, some foundational work that has been done in Scripture uh, that uh, is, um, you know, makes this sort of normative for Christians. Um, this is found in 1 Peter three fifteen and 16. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Being, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So it is true for all Christians at all times, in all places, that we must be ready to make a defense of our faith. And hopefully, We've seen a real explosion of resources over the last decade, or you've gotten better access to them with the rise of the internet. Uh, however, we face the issue of having to wade through hours of debate on YouTube or reading dense, academically-oriented books in order to gain the basic knowledge structure that we need in order to engage effectively with skeptics. Uh, the resources available for ordinary, ordinary Christians has been you know, fairly uh, has been more difficult to come by. What we're seeking to do here is to strengthen our faith so that we may confidently and effectively persuade unbelievers to faith in Christ. So how do we do that? 
Well, well, let's look at the verse above. Uh, Peter is telling us to have a prepared, reasonable defense. In verse 15, this is expressed in the Greek word apologia. Um, this is a, a legal term, meaning defense against an accusation in a court of law. So when your co-worker states, well, the Bible has been translated so many times, who knows what it originally said? Or a professor states that miracles are impossible, we are called on to give an answer which shows that that accusation to be false. For the next several weeks, we'll be following Mark Farnham's Every Believer Confident, which is a guide to apologetics for the ordinary Christian. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this for free. Apologetics is a, a very scary thing. To engage someone in debate, not argument, and we'll get to that later, but to engage someone in debate is to place yourself in a very vulnerable position. Cornelius Van Til breaks it down thusly, apologetics is the vindication of the Christian philosophy of life against the various forms of the non-Christian philosophy of life. Uh, William Edgar further refines, apologetics is the art of persuasion, the discipline which considers ways to commend and defend the living God to those without faith. We see in these definitions a common thread. Christians have a unified and unique philosophy of life which emanates from Scripture and that God may use at us as his ordinary means of persuade, persuading and winning out those uh, who suppress the truth in their own unrighteousness. Now, I can hear the objection, but Dave, what about evangelism? Our, our goal should be to proclaim the gospel, not to engage in debate. And my answer is that evangelism and apologetics are partners. As soon as the person to whom you are proclaiming Christ raises an objection to your faith, you switch from evangelism to apologetics. Intellectual obstacles to belief are going to crop up, and it is the function of apologetics to assist in clearing them away. Apologetics assists believers as well. In answering objections to our faith, we ground ourselves in doctrine, and in doing so, address our own doubts and blind spots. A church which is grounded in apologetics is a church with increased confidence in the reliability of scripture and the gospel, and thus its members are able to better articulate that to others. Doubting Christians or those who lack a deeper understanding of why we believe what we believe are not apt to share their faith. So now that we've addressed the definition of apologetics, that's a defense of what we believe, and the goal of apologetics, answering objections and pointing others to Christ, uh, we'll discuss the various apologetic methods and, and approaches. The first one is evidentialism. This is the approach you're probably most familiar with. Uh, evidence that demands a verdict certainly held presence in the house in which I grew up, as did stories of archaeological finds which supported the historicity of the Bible. Um, Farnham gives an example. When the historical reliability of the Gospels is challenged, evidential apologists study the details of the Greek texts, historical events, cultural practices, geography, archaeology, interactions with Roman history, and more to establish what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John report. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with research into any of these things, provided we don't get ourselves wrapped up in thinking that with a preponderance of the evidence on our side, an unbeliever must believe. I love reading articles like the top 10 biblical archaeology finds of the year, but if one of them is found to be fake or have been you know, misidentified in some way, will that shake my faith? 
Of course not. And conversely, an unbeliever will not come to faith through enough or, quote-unquote, the right evidence. She will come to faith because the Holy Spirit convicts her of her sin and drives her to her Savior. These evidences may be used upon that path, but they don't replace it. Cumulative case apologetics is one that has been referred to in the past as best explanation apologetics. C.S. Lewis was a proponent of outlining the human condition and our surrounding world, its problems of good and evil, the longing of man to worship and have meaning, stating that um, Christianity offered the best explanations for the world we see around us and the struggles that we have within us. The issue, I think, with those methods above is that they rely on shared definitions. What constitutes evidence? How do we interpret it when we find it? What is good? What is evil? What if the person you're speaking with isn't interested in whether or not God exists? There is, I've found, a methodology which transcends this need and is more concerned with the heart of the unbeliever than with his head. That is presuppositionalism. And I'm sure that some of you have been waiting for me to say this term from the beginning and others may not be very familiar with it. Uh, This method seeks to expose the root nature of all objections to the gospel, namely the irrationality of the person who objects prior to presenting the truly rational message of the cross. A presupposition is a belief that serves as a foundation for all other beliefs. For the Christian, the triune God and his revelation about himself and his world are foundational to everything else we believe. For example, I am faithful to my wife because A, God has revealed in Scripture that a husband should love and be faithful to his wife, and B, in Scripture, he compares that relationship to Christ, who is so faithful to his bride, the church, that he laid down his life for her. So, arising from my foundational belief in God and in Revelation, I have both a normative, God tells me so, and an exemplative, God God does so himself, for believing as I do and for doing as I do. By contrast, unbelievers have likely not considered their core heart beliefs. This leads to irrational thinking such as, there is no absolute truth, also racism is absolutely bad. How can you assert that racism is bad when nothing is true in all times and all places for all people? Everything is relative. Everyone has presuppositions about the world in which we live. The presuppositional apologetic then begins with biblical truth and strikes the heart of rejection and and suppression of the truth of the gospel. So in his book, Farnham outlines the basic tenets of the approach. Number one, God has revealed himself and therefore everyone knows him and is in relationship with him. Uh, Romans 1 Verses 18 through 21 tells us, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
So then scripture tells me that I don't need to prove the existence of God to the unbeliever. She already knows him and is in a relationship of wrath with him. And number two, the Bible attests to its own authority. As we discussed earlier, the unbeliever is at core irrational. Thus appealing to their reason is insufficient. Reason is a tool, not an authority in and of itself. Second Timothy tells us all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if all scripture is breathed out by God, then it holds authority over my reason. Um, First Peter tells us concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied, prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have been now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. J.V. Fesco remarks on this passage, Peter observes the Old Testament prophet, that the Old Testament prophets were inspired to write about the coming Messiah and the God revealed to them, and then God revealed to them that they were ultimately serving the church in future ages. At the same time, they wrote down more than they actually knew because they searched and inquired diligently what type of person and time the Messiah would arrive. They wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit of Christ. This means that we can speak of the dual authorship of the scriptures, God and humans. Again, God trumps our own authority um, and his word uh, will be an authority to us and it is self-attesting. <clears throat> Thus, deriving from the presuppositions that God is knowable and personal and that he has further revealed himself through his word, we see the only rational, consistent, sufficient explanation for our life's origin, purpose, goal, um, the only reasonable, rational explanation for these things is the Christian worldview. God's explanation for why things went wrong and how he has fixed it is the only one that works. Uh, Farnham writes, Only God describes this world correctly. Because other worldviews do not accept the authority of Scripture, they oppose Christianity with their partial truths. So what we're looking to do here over the next several weeks is bring together this logic, these worldviews, theology, evangelism, and world religions in practical, real-world scenarios which will help build our confidence in a world of increasing uncertainty. There are people out there who are hurting, who don't know what to make of lockdowns and quarantines, pandemics, racial violence, riots, etc. So the question is, if those people come to you and ask, how can you believe in a good God when there is so much evil in the world? How you answer that is your apologetic. And so the question is, are you prepared? And our purpose here is to, to help you to do that. So that was uh, short. I, I don't know about sweet, uh, to the point. 
Um, I uh, wanted to, I, I want to get questions. If you have questions about that, if you have comments, uh, please, um, you know, get them to me by email, uh, get them to me in the uh, comments on Facebook. If we want to start a conversation here, that would be fantastic. Uh, if we want to give some examples of how um, the Lord has led us to question the irrationality of, of other, of unbelievers, um, or a, a way in which the Lord has uh, worked um, uh, in your life to help you to uh, proclaim your faith and to answer uh, the objections of skeptics, uh, that would be uh, wonderful as well. Um, I think that uh, uh, we can um, get back to interactive Sunday school if we do switch it to a Sunday evening uh, and I would uh, hope that, uh, you know, I would find some support in that. Um, let's talk about the best time. Let's talk about the best format. Um, and let's keep talking because uh, that's the way that we stay connected. Uh, let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that you have um, given us the, the sole authority by which we are to live and, and work and and do good things uh, in in your name. Uh, these good things that you've prepared in advance for us to do, and one of those good things is to defend our faith, to defend the reasons that, uh, that we have to uh, believe that uh, you are who you say you are, and you've done what you've said you've done, and you will maintain your promises. Thank you for those promises, and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.